Hold on, let me move things around my pockets. Uh, we continue this morning with a sermon series that, um, that we began last week, if you were here with us, uh, called Life Together. And birthed out of just a recognition of both the reality that we're called to, to be in, to experience, to live faith, to, to, to be in journey if you will, of faith together. That's, that's the, the call of God. That's the call of, of the Scriptures to, to be joined in community, a body of Christ. But, but recognizing that that presents both wonderful opportunity, which we'll talk about in the next few weeks, but, but also some tremendous challenges uh, as we get along, as we learn to live together in, in any connection. And so I'm um, recognizing that we're unique um, and we are wonderful, and we are gifted, and we are challenging, and we are frustrating, and we are all of these things wrapped into one, and, and that's true of every relationship that we have. And, and we, do, we just do funny and, and goofy things sometimes. I had a picture shared with me last week. I was thinking about it when I was standing over here when we were singing, because I'm looking at this balloon right here. Now... Last week, during worship, somebody thought it would be funny to get up into the, the booth back here, the, the sound booth, and take a picture of me at this angle. I wish I, had, I hadn't thought about it till this morning. I would have showed you the picture. I, and the picture, they framed it in such a way, I think the balloon was a little lower, that the balloon covers my head. So I look, and so that's what somebody was doing during worship was doing that during the last time. Now, you want to know what's even funnier? You know who it was? My daughter. <laughs> who was back for the week and hadn't gone back because she's not allowed to come home anymore. Um, and I'm thinking, I said to her, I said, is this what you do during worship? She's like, no, just during the closing hymn. I'm like, oh, okay. So it was at 11. So we do, that's funny, and we got a lot. And like I said, I'll have to find it and share it with you. It really is actually framed up very well. Um, but but we, do, we do funny and, and strange things and, and, sometimes, and sometimes things that we need to be more acutely aware of because, because behaviors can be harmful and hurtful. And um, I want to challenge and kind of think about one of those areas of our lives that we need to be really, really um, intentional and thoughtful and reflective about. And and that is, um, well, we'll get to what it is. I think it's probably obvious when you look at the sermon title this morning. But, um, but before we get there, anybody know what this Thursday, September 19th, anybody know what, what September 19th is? Day before your birthday. That, that it could be. It might be somebody's birthday. Um, it could be a celebration. But more on a larger scale. Anybody, anybody know? It is... Talk like a pirate day. You guys know about this? Have you heard about this? It's, I'm not making this one up if you haven't. It's, it is talk like a pirate day, which is now, I think for the last uh, eight years now, I think this is the eighth international talk like a pirate day. And, and it is exactly what it sounds like. And if you're on social media, you may have seen some of the things that happen. They, they'll, they'll do quirky things on, on talk like a pirate day, but the, 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 core is exactly what it sounds like. We're, we're challenged to, to not say hello, but to say ahoy, 
to not call your friends friends, but to call them mates, mateys. Yeah, you know, to begin to substitute, um, you know, that, that pirate lingo. And, and it was, you know, I, I became aware of it. I mean, I've known about it, but I didn't realize it was coming up until Julie McNaughton, our youth minister, she mentioned it to me like a week ago. She said something about it, and I started, you know, to think about it. And so, because this is what I do in sermon preparation, I started researching Talk Like a Pirate Day. I was like, where does that come from? And that was started in 1995 by just a couple friends, a couple guys. Of course it was guys. And uh, they just started doing it and kind of having fun with it. And they picked September 19th because it wasn't near Christmas. It wasn't near Easter. It wasn't near any major. It wasn't near the Super Bowl. It wasn't near any major holidays. It was a good time. And um, they had fun with it. But they somehow got the, um, the idea connected or they shared it with Dave Barry. The uh, humorist, the writer, and, and he found out and he picked up on it and he started writing about it. And as he started to, uh, as he started to do that, it, it kind of gained some traction. And so now it's a, it's a regular thing and, and it, um, it's taken off. In, in 2011, the, the astronauts on the International Space Station recognized Talk Like a Pirate Day. They were, you know, every morning they get awoken with a song, and the song they got woken up to that day was, uh, It's a Pirate's Life for Me. Um, and uh, I think that same year, uh, then President Obama had a, a buccaneer in his, uh, in his office dressed up, and they t- he tweeted out a picture that said, Are you in? For, uh, for National Pirate Day. And, and it, it, in Michigan, it's, an, it's a recognized holiday. I just, in Michigan, it is a recognized holiday because Michigan clearly needs some additional holidays, I guess. I don't know. Um, you know and so there is, there's this kind of life that it's taken on. And in fact, in my public service announcement, this is my public service announcement to you, on Thursday, if you go to Long John Silver's and you talk like a pirate, you will get a free piece of fish. And if you dress like a pirate, you get a free um, two-piece fish and more. So um, uh, if they're participating, I didn't actually call our Long John Silver to see if they're participating. But, um, but, but here's, the, here's the whole point of all of that silliness. What's that? What was your question? That was my question. What's the point? What's the point? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Is that if you're going to have fun with a day like that, you have to think real intentionally about how you're going to speak. None of us naturally use R and ahoy matey and shiver me timbers. Nobody calls somebody a um, bilge rat, hopefully. You know, those kind of language, that kind of language, that kind of, of dialogue, if you will, that, that use of words has to be intentionally thought out and, and, and um, strategic, if you will, in, in our encounters in our conversation should we not be as intentional should we not be as thoughtful should we not be as aware of the words that we use every day in conversations with people should we not be as thoughtful and reflective about the ways that we speak on a daily basis to others or to, to, you know, in any encounter and conversation as we are on a silly day like Talk Like a Pirate Day. And that's the thing. Do we think as intentionally 
about our speech as we do on rare occasions like September 19th. Because our words matter. The words that we speak, the tone that we speak them in, has an impact. And that brings us to James. That builds this bridge to what James writes about in this, in this short letter in the back of your New Testaments. In these 12 verses at the beginning of the third chapter, James talks very intentionally and, and deliberately about the power of words. And this is what he says. He said, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's always a great verse for a preacher to read. (laughs) Or teachers, or any of us that lead. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. Just let that sink in for a minute. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, that we would hear your word today. Be challenged, maybe convicted, but certainly changed by our need to think deeply and intentionally about who you call us to be and how we express our faith day in and day out. Bless these moments. We give them to you. In Christ's holy name, amen. Amen. So again, to state the obvious, words matter. They matter. You know this. I know this. If you have ever been stung by the criticism, the the critique, the cruelty of another person, and I think we probably all have, um, you know words matter. 
If you have ever been told you're not good enough, you can't achieve that, that's not for you, you don't have the gifts, you don't have the quality, you don't have the the character, whatever it is, you know how much words can sting, how how impactful they can be. I I saw on, I think it was social media a while ago, and I'm probably not getting the, the, the phrasing exactly right, but it basically said that if a child grows up with criticism, he or she doesn't learn to hate you, they learn to hate themselves. They, they, they learn to hate themselves, and, and some of you know firsthand that kind of an environment. And, and James talks, I mean, he wants to warn the church in, in this life together, in this, in this call to, to be in community together. He has some really harsh things and, and tough things to say about how much damage we do by the words that we speak. I mean, he t- says it can't, it's a tongue that cannot be tamed. And, and it, it is, is destructive when our words tear down and, and hurt. And we, we have experienced that. And the challenge for us is to be intentionally reflective on the times and places we may have been guilty of that. Because it's not just about internalizing what we've experienced, but sometimes it's internalizing and being intentional about asking God, what have we uh, inflicted on others? You know, growing up, if, if, you know, we started to get a little um, careless with our words in our household, we would, by mom or dad, hear those familiar warnings, um, watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. That could mean any number of things. And I know I'm not the only one that has heard those words or spoken them. Watch your mouth. That was kind of the, my parents' way of saying you're starting to tread very dangerously uh, into some territory that you do not want to go. And so it was a intentionality, an intention to say step back and think about what you say next um, because it could bring destruction upon you. And, uh, and occasionally it did. And so I think what James is saying to us is watch your mouth. Now, context, culture is really, really important here because ancient cultures of which the Bible was birthed out of and, and other um, philosophers and, and, and um, writers of, of ancient um, um, civilizations, if you will, uh, they, they often believed that um, that words words could had great power, but they also brought great peril, and so silence was was prized and valued. Probably a a, a, a truth that we should internalize a little bit more. We're we're surrounded by noise in our culture. That's why in our times of prayer, you know, we very intentionally, even though it's just a few moments, we, we do start with, with silence or at least reflection because that's becoming a, a lost art. Um, because we're always surrounded by noise. We have televisions, we have radios, we have social media. We're just constantly bombarded by it. And so we've kind of lost the art of, of being quiet. But, but cultures, and, and James echoes this, and, and Proverbs echoes this. Proverbs, um, in Proverbs 21, 23, it says, Whoever keeps his mouth um, and his tongue in check 
keeps himself or herself out of trouble. You know, I mean, think about that. How many times have we open mouth, insert foot, right? How many times have you found yourself in a situation where you've just said, if I had just kept my mouth shut? I mean, yeah, we all have stories. See, you all are looking at each other going, yeah, I remember. Remember when I did this? If you're married, yeah, you know this. You know this. You know, why didn't I just keep my mouth shut? But not just marriage, friendships, families. It, it happens across the board. Well, that's what, that's what Proverbs says, that when you keep your, your mouth in check, you, uh, you tend to keep yourself out of trouble. Uh, when you watch your words, when you watch your mouth, it also says in Proverbs ten nineteen, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudence. The more you say the less value it has. Sorry. Um, and, uh, and so, again, we just need to, to think deeply and intentionally about this. We need to kind of measure and, and evaluate and self-reflect on what it is that dominates our speech, what it is that, that characterizes our, our conversations. Not because any of us, James says, you know, if, if you can tame your tongue, you're perfect. Um, and I'm not looking on a congregation. I don't see any perfect faces. And you don't either. But it does challenge us to, as an area of growth. And so how do we begin to think through that? Well, I've talked in the past about, and, and you may be familiar with, uh, it's attributed to um, Socrates, but it was his triple filter. His triple filter for things that should be spoken. And his triple filter was, is it true, is it good, and is it necessary? Is it true, is it good, and is it necessary? And I started, you know, to th- and, I, and I hate these sermons when I preach them. Because I start to then have to self-evaluate constantly. And, and I catch myself over and over. You know, I, I, I joked or talked last week about a number of folks when I was, I was talking about the way that we deal with conflict, um, you know, had said, oh, you know, you wrote that one for me. And the truth is, no, I actually probably wrote it for me. Um, and, and hopefully it spills over and has some impact on you. And this is another one of those, because this is hard for all of us. I don't, I don't stand up before you as somebody who's got this mastered. I, I fall short of this triple filter um, more often than I would care to admit. But, Socrates, is it true? Is it, is it good? And, and is it necessary? Or, or is it useful? And I started to think of that in, in the framework of, of James's words here, in the framework of, of scriptural truth that we're taught. And, and that first thing, in, in Ephesians 4.15, it says that the familiar words, speak the truth in love. It's to speak the truth in love that, that we may grow into the image of him who is the head, Jesus Christ. But, but we, we often rightfully talk about the love, that, that our words should be characterized by a, an ethic, a, a character of love. But, but that first phrase is really, really is important. Speak the truth. You know, speak the truth. You know, the most captivating words, the words that will make us lean in more than any other words that we often hear are these. Somebody comes up to you and says, have you heard? Do that. Just go up to somebody and go, have you heard? And you watch their eyes pop open. 
Well, because, oh, something's coming. Something's good's coming now. Let's, let's talk. Uh, I, I, I don't know if it was Oscar Wilde or, or somebody. I, I can't remember now the author that once said, you know, if, uh, if you don't have anything good to say or you have any, any salacious details or stories to tell, come sit next to me. You know, that kind of thing. Come, because, because we lean into that. And, and too often than not, we don't preface that with, um, I have never said this. Have you heard? I was like, well, wait a minute. Is it true? Do we know that it's true? We, we, don't, we don't start with that. We, we like the gossip. We like the story. And, and as Ryan and Cassie uh, were growing up and they would come home from school and they would tell stories about things that they'd heard were happening, I, I would get in the habit of saying to them, okay, wait a minute, you heard this. Do you know that it's true? Do you know that what you've just heard about him or her or what they're saying about that teacher, do you know that it's true? And their response was usually, well, so-and-so told me. Well, that, that doesn't make it true. Now, here's the hypocrisy. I'm really good at filtering that on you. But do I use that same standard? Am I as, as intentional about that? And, and so the scriptures talk about the importance of, of truth. Truth-telling is, is, is a character of, of Christ and who we're called to be in Christ. I mean, honestly, there, there should never be a doubt among us when we speak that we're not speaking truth. But we have a hard time, like everybody else, taming the tongue. So, so we start with, is it true? But the second filter there is, is it good? Is it, is it good? Does it, does it see others? Does your speech reflect that you see others as men or women, boys or girls, that have been created in the very image of God? I mean, that's what the Genesis account tells us, that we are created in the image of God. Does our speech reveal that we see value, that we see good in people, even when the speech is tough? It doesn't mean that everything we say is positive. Sometimes there's critical evaluation. There's critical truth that can be speaking, spoken. But, but is, it, <coughs> is it good? Does it see the value in others? Does it reflect that we see the value in others? I don't know how many of you know off the top of your head or are familiar with Sister Helen um, Prejean, I think is how she pronounces her last name. Uh, she, in Louisiana, uh, was involved in, and has been involved in ministry to death row inmates. And in the early 80s, she um, befriended, or really should say started ministering with an inmate on, on death row. And um, in the course of that, um, she brought him to a place where he was willing to confess the horrible things he had done. Now, he'd been convicted, but he was willing to own. I mean, he was guilty of murder and, and just some atrocious um, crimes against others and, and was willing to, to kind of be confessional and, and own that and, 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 you know, seek some grace in the midst of that. And her comment to him, her, her exact quote, I think, after that was that um, once he came clean, before his execution, she said, you have dignity now. Nobody can ever take that from you. You are a child of God. 
You have dignity now. No one, she saw even this person who has committed crimes that are unspeakable, who was guilty and deserved a punishment for those crimes. It's not an, an argument against that. But was willing to say, even in the midst of all of that, I see you as the child of God that you are. Now, she would go on, and this is what I said, if you, recognize, you might not recognize the name, but she would go on and write a book about that relationship that was titled Dead Man Walking that then became the movie in 1995 that many of us have seen. But, but my, my point in that is to just say, even in the worst of human conditions and the worst of humanity, she saw the redeeming value in a, in a person that was still and always was a child of God who God loved, who God cared about, who God gave his son Jesus to redeem. If in those situations we can recognize that, yes, even somebody in that situation is a child of God, how much more do we need to do that in our day-to-day operations? Sometimes we're more easy to recognize that in the situations that are distant from us than it is in the people that we're in life with every day that get under our skin. That annoy us in ways that are far less significant than what I'm just talking about, but, but just bug us. That drive us nuts. The tendencies and the quirks and the irritants that people cause, because we do. Everybody in here, all of you, are irritating. <laughs> and you know what? So am I. So am I. I don't say that to be We just are. We do that to each other. You're not hopefully irritating everybody, but there's somebody who goes, this person gets under my skin. This person bugs me. And that might be the person that loves you the most, okay? So, so my point just being, sometimes we need that challenge to see, are the things that we say good? You know, in, in the creation story in Genesis, it talks about chaos, But when God creates, if you go back to Genesis 1, creation happens when God speaks. God says, let there be light. God says, let there be creatures of of every kind. God says, let there be vegetation and and land. And all all of creation is spoken. And at the end of each speech, at the end of the words that God speaks are these, and God saw it was good, right? It was good. Does our speech create or do we speak chaos into life? Do we speak chaos into it? And so that becomes that that second filter. Is it true? Is it good? And then the last is this. Is it necessary? Is it it useful? Because it can be true. It can even be good, but it may not be necessary. There may be times when, when we have to say, you know, there was really nothing to be gained by the words that I spoke. When Jesus spoke, and you go and, and you read the scriptures, the purpose was always to help men and women see that they were valued, that they were loved, that they were mattered, that they mattered, but also to help individuals and a community grow into the people that God had wanted them to be. Go back and read Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 and Matthew 7, and I use that because that's the Sermon on the Mount. It's all read. It's all Jesus speak, and it's all meant to help us grow into the people that God wants us to be. The words are useful. They're purposeful. They're intentional. And they begin to to shape life in ways that are God-honoring and personally fulfilling. 
you know, do, do we speak similarly words that are, seek the best in others? Seek them to be the best that they can be. Even, again, sometimes when the words are hard. This is not to say every con- conversation should be flowery and easy. That, that there are not hard conversations that we have to have. Again, parents with children know that sometimes you have to speak hard words. But do you do it in a way that's meant to build up? Is it, is it useful? Is it necessary? Is the person better because... They've heard it. That's, that's our challenge. That is our challenge because James says so much destruction, so much harm, so much brokenness comes because of the words we speak. But, but don't also lose this. He also says, so does praise. The, the same mouth that speaks this destruction also praises and worships. That there's so much good that comes from the words that we speak, that can come from the words we speak. James isn't, though it would sound like at one point he just wants us not to say anything. But James really wants us to think very deeply about what we say because our words can build up. We praise God with our words. We sing songs and hymns of, of worship. We say prayers. We confess faith. We greet one another. We hug one another. We, we check in on one another. That's a gift of, of human contact. That's a gift of speech. For every harsh thing that you've experienced, hopefully you've also had people that have lifted you up by the words that they've said. That you have moments when you can remember somebody that spoke truth into your life or complimented you or saw value in you and giftedness in you, purpose in you, and they spoke that into your life and it gave you life. We have that opportunity. So as we leave When we talk about watching our mouth, watching our mouth isn't to say don't speak, but think about what you speak. Think about the impact that it has. Think about how we honor Christ by the words that we say and ask God to begin to cleanse our speech. And I don't mean just from the four-letter words, from the way and the intent and the purpose on the things that we say. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. Because with it, we can harm But at the same time, through our words, we can speak life and joy and hope. That's what God desires for us. On a silly day like Thursday, September 19th, people have to think intentionally if they want to talk like a pirate. Well, every day, let us think intentionally so we can learn to talk like a Christian. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we begin confessionally. We don't do this well. That's why James speaks so harshly of words and the power of words. Because we, more often than not, find ourselves speaking words of chaos into created order. But Lord, cleanse us of that tendency. Purify our thoughts. May our words reflect the work of your Holy Spirit. And may we begin to to more thoughtfully think about the things that we say and seek to speak truth and, and goodness and usefulness. Speak life and joy and hope and peace into the conversations that we have. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We can only do this by your Holy Spirit at work within us. Be at work and create in us the people that you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Friends, now as you're able, I invite